Empire podcast this week, we say welcome to, welcome to Marwen director Robert Zemeckis and his star Steve Carell. All that plus usual movie news, although not a lot of it, and nonsense, uh, a lot of it, on the movie podcast that just doesn't want to put the Christmas tree away and you can't make me. You've got three more days. Yes, Christmas tree. Yeah. Mine's already get gone. In. Oh, Ugh. Grinch. New Year's Day, first thing, get rid of that fucker, stick it in the no, loft. No, it's, it's the 6th. Everybody knows it's the 6th. It has to be done by the 6th. has to be done by the 1st. That's not a thing. <laughs> it's my thing. Well, there you go. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, the first Empire Podcast of 2019. Oh, God. As you can tell... We're back after our Christmas break. We had, let me just count this on my fingers, one, two, three, five, five days off, something like that. Sure. That's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. Feeling recharged, refreshed and ready to go. As you've already heard, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have our very own Christmas geek queen, Helen <laughs> O'Hara, right Hello. here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I had a very nice Christmas. It was good. Didn't ask that, Helen. Don't well, really I'm just, care. I'm just sharing. That's that's great. Thank <laughs> the you. Christmas spirit. No, no, please, please do unbidden. Tell me about your Christmas. This is fantastic. Well. Oh, God. Uh, we're also joined by our very own Christmas Grinch, James Dyer. I'm, uh, my resolution is to be less Grinch-like for the next 15 or 30 It lasted for 15 seconds yeah. of this podcast <laughs> yeah. before you were very, very grinchy. Yeah, it's... it's a it's, disgrace. That is true. I'm, now, this be a new positive me. I shall be a ray of sparkling sunshine for the whole of 2019. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's see I, how... I, I, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Well, no, you've already given me sunshine in my life by making me laugh a oh, lot. Yeah. Thanks, Helen. See, that's, I'm doing well. I'm on a roll. Let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> I will ask you both about your Christmases, but uh, not before I introduce this, this week's third colleague of such lethal cunning. What? Oh, yeah. This happens but once a year. He comes like Santa Claus. I didn't mean it in that way. I know. I have no knowledge of how Santa Claus comes, by the way. No. Um, I should point that out. Presently. Stop it. <laughs> oh, jingle all the way. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. He is... He's our man in LA. He is our very own San Andreas fault. He is... Harsh. What is your What is your job title officially? What is my job title? Um, uh, man in Man in Los Angeles is technically my job... Uh, wait, wait, no, no, it's something, something... Lackey. West he is Coast, our... West Coast editor, open brackets, online, close brackets, I think. Ooh. It's a prestigious title. It comes with no money. Many have, many have fought for it, many have died for it. Only one man holds it currently. It is, of course... Our very own Jaime Blanco himself, James White, is here for his annual visit to the pod booth. Hello, how are you? I am good, thank you very much. Fantastic, it's great to see you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for coming in, and uh, we'll see you next year. Indeed, goodbye. How, how were your Christmases, everybody? Uh, Helen, you started telling us about yours, you might as well tell us about it now. I don't know. It was pretty great. I got a Maleficent necklace, like her in dragon form. It's really big, it's a dragon, it's awesome. And I got a Winter Soldier hoodie. So I'm very well served. That was from my siblings. That's great. Including my brother, who I got grief from because I called him my little brother on the pod. And apparently I'm not allowed to do that. Now he's like 30-something and a father. But, but technically he's he will always be your little brother. That was my argument to him. And it met with a cold response, I'll be honest. Wow. Mm. Anyway, so what my prick. brother. Yeah. <laughs> Jimbo, how was your Christmas? Uh, festive. Great. Yeah. Uh, no, Christmas was good. I, I enjoyed it. I, I watched a lot of The Shield, which I'm rewatching at the moment, which is fabulous. 
Uh, so enjoyed that a lot. Is that like the Winter Soldier? Is that like yes, Captain yes. America? Yes, Agent, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. starring Vic oh, Mackey. Good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I went and saw The Grinch at the cinema because, <laughs> you know... It's like looking in a mirror. I, li- I like to stay in character. Uh, so that was uh, that was pretty fun. Why and, did uh, you go see that? Oh, it seemed a thing to do. There wasn't a lot else on and I didn't want to see Mary Poppins. Okay, fair enough. Spider-Verse. Um, uh, well, I'd seen Spider-Verse. I wanted to see something I hadn't seen. Spider-Verse again. Uh, well, yeah, that would have been a better choice. I also re-watched the, uh, the most aggressively three-star film ever made solo a star wars story okay. uh so that was uh that was nice too mm. that's yeah. good well done you also i got the gift that keeps giving supernaturals on prime <laughs> oh that's prime supernatural <laughs> all 12 uh how many the first 12 uh, the first 12 seasons, yes the first 12 years the first 12 yeah. years of supernatural we have watched sam or dean's <laughs> <laughs> nipples change and evolve so much over those 12 years it's been quite incredible to watch yeah. and I intend to watch it at some point uh, <laughs> you're going to be so shocked at the lack of toplessness you're not going to know what hit you so you're, you're saying it's not the supernatural nipple fest that we've been led to believe <laughs> well you know it's not you've actually watched I, some I have I, I have memories of of yeah, I don't. Although I will say, I will say, and this is how long that we that Supernatural has been around. I remember when we did the very first uh, iPad edition of Empire, which was in 2010, and we did the first, edition and they said, "Well, we need a we need a, a code name for the for the project because every co- when you do a new launch for a magazine, or something you need a project, and so we call it Project Funky Town in, <laughs> in reference to the fact that that is Sam and Dean's code word for when all is not copacetic. Yes, that's when everything's gone completely yeah. to shit, and, and it, which, it, which it regularly does on yeah. the show. Yeah, and then they take the shirts off in response, rub their nipples together, and evil is abated, is that's vanquished. What happens? Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Mm. Whatever Just, happened to Meg, Helen? I liked Meg. Meg was good. She came back that time. Jason Statham killed her. James, it was a big old movie. <laughs> oh, that's right. She had her own movie. Yes. The Meg. He must have seen it. Yeah. Uh, Blanco. Ah, yeah. My uh, my Christmas was very nice. Came to the UK, as I always do. Brought my girlfriend, which was rather good. Um, right. That's nice. Yeah. You know, girlfriend-mother interaction. That's not scary at all. <laughs> Thank God you finished that sentence. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa, they do things very differently in LA. <laughs> this is my girlfriend-mother. Yeah. We keep them separate over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, where's your punctuation in that? <laughs> Admittedly, so slash is a comma. What are we doing? Phrased it better. <laughs> yes, slash sounds a bit too much like slash fiction. So I'm not going to. No, don't do that. No. Mother, no. blood. No. no, none of that. It was very nice. I got a I got a Spider-Man Homecoming T-shirt, uh, a Midtown Academy T-shirt, which Ooh, was uh, that's which great. Was nice. That's yeah. cool. That's was, cool. That was good. That was good. Yeah, it was hmm. very nice. I, I watched a lot of British quiz shows, which I don't really get the chance to watch much of in Los Angeles. I can imagine. What did you, what did you binge on? Pointless? Uh, I was, the Chase? A uh, bit of Pointless, bit of Chase, bit of Only Connect. Oh, trying to make myself seem smart. That's such a tough Failed. quiz. Yeah. Such and, a tough uh, quiz. Yeah, And Christmas University Challenge, of course. Which of is course, of delight. course. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. Did Hogwarts yeah. win this year? <laughs> not this year, sadly. Sadly, they tried to cheat, but, you know, it didn't work out. <laughs> not, not a university, Chris. Is it? There's no tertiary education that we know of in the wizarding world. Absolutely what? right. What? Yeah, just so you just graduate and go straight into a job? Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. No wonder the Ministry of Magic is so cack-handed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Unbelievable. Magic there may be and not a de- degree between them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, what do we watch? What else did we watch over Christmas? What did we immerse ourselves in? Uh, my wife and I, we started uh, her first time, my second time on rewatching The American Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fantastic. We are Good. now currently in season four, and it is brilliant. And we're coming up to one of the greatest episodes of any sitcom ever, which is Dinner Party. Perhaps you can come and talk about it on the Pilot TV podcast. 
cutting that bit out. <laughs> um, I watched uh, Bird Box. I finished. Was it the Was it the Second Coming, Helen? Was it your favourite film ever, Helen? Was it a five star experience, Helen? <laughs> was it everything you dreamed Molly's game would be and more? Um, it was better than Molly's game. Yeah, it was definitely better than Molly's game. I enjoyed it a lot more. I thought it was a phenomenal cast. I, I loved, absolutely loved everybody in it. Um, Casting-wise, I thought it was really, really well done. I don't think it's my top ten of the year, unlike some James Dyers. <laughs> yeah. But I did very much enjoy it. I also finished a season two of uh, Mrs. Maisel, the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, very good. Which I very much enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, uh, there was probably some other stuff, but mostly... I'll be honest, it was supernatural. Yeah. I, I, I spent, um, what was it? So I watched The Office. The last film I saw this year, and we'll get onto it later on in the review section, was Holmes and Watson. Oh, me too. Yeah. In the cinema, at least. In the cinema. No, actually, yeah. no, the last film I watched, because then after that, Oof. we were kind of, I was busy uh, editing podcasts and uh, doing some, some work and stuff. So that was my last film this year, and then we watched some episodes of The Office as well. Uh, but Well, the only uh, way is up. The only way it is up. Uh, As Yaz and the plastic population famously yeah, said. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, we, had, uh, we were in France over the Christmas period with, with family and there was a big discussion about what film to watch on Christmas Eve. Uh, you know, did we go for Infinity War or Fallout or, you know, I recommended Teen Titans and I showed them the trailer and then they went, no, no. not for us. No. Uh, so we ended up, yeah. We ended up watching Pixels. Pixels, the... Uh, wow. And you know what? I liked it. You don't Chris, shock me. Come I liked on. it. How much chocolate get had you out. eaten at that point? I liked it. No, get out. We didn't watch that. It was too final for the kiddies. But uh, Pixels is actually fun, guys. No. It's fun. No. I've seen it. I watched it on a plane. It it's was not fun. fun. No. It's good fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Josh gadding about. It's all, st- it's all good stuff. It's not all good stuff. My it's opinion. It's definitely not all good stuff. Another popular Chris Yeard opinion there in the Empire Podcast. Blanca, what did you watch over Christmas apart from Lola's British quiz shows? Uh, I watched Home Alone for the first time it's in, in many, many, film. many years. Uh, it's It's odd. an awful film. I watched a better Chris Columbus film over the Christmas period and that's saying something. Well, Wait, hang, no. Pixels is a better film no, than no, Home Alone. No, no. It's it is really a better wrong. film no. than Home Alone. No, objectively no. Can we talk for a second about the big revelation in inverted commas that people had over Christmas, which is that a lot of famous people, including oh God. the best Chris Evans, um, weren't aware that the film within a film in Home Alone was a fake film. Mm. And that was that was quite upsetting. But I was okay with that a little bit because I wasn't I didn't know when I initially saw it in the 90 whatever it was. What what actually got me worse is that some people didn't realise that Joe Pesci goes round the houses casing them out, dressed as a policeman at the beginning of the film. I don't what? understand how people didn't get that, but like thousands of people retweeting this, going, "What? This is a revelation!" On, I'm so, like, "No, so it isn't." Where's the confusion? What did they think was happening? They thought it was a policeman, but they they literally called back to it in the movie. They, yes, with the, the, with, the, the teeth with the ting, thing. with the yeah. teeth and the ting and the and the, yeah. Yeah. I, it's insane. It's these mad. people are insane. Yes. Also, anybody these days who does not realise it's a fake movie in the movie has clearly never looked at the IMDb. But yes, I guess we're nerds. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's, we should we, I, clearly there's some there's some ambiguity here. We should do a Home Alone retro spoiler special. Getting Macaulay Culkin on here. Is I, he changing his middle name to Macaulay Culkin? So he would be Macaulay Macaulay Culkin Culkin. According to a public poll, yes. Yeah. He's lucky he's not Macaulay Booting at Boatface. Can we all agree that our best present, all of our best present was Kevin Spacey's uh, Return to Form video uh, and then the spoof director's commentary that they released for it which was endlessly entertaining. I mean, no. but, but, but funny in the way that you're watching going, what are you doing? What is this madness? In character as Frank Underwood on the day that I believe some important headlines were announced regarding his... Uh, his legal situation. Yes, that's it, Helen. Thank you, thank you. 
Yeah. I, I, and that and the Louis C.K. thing. Oh, was, my God. It was an interesting Christmas for people we thought were maybe going to be quiet for a little while. <laughs> yeah. They will not go quietly into this good night. Yeah. The spacey thing's really interesting because he chose to do it, clearly. I mean, this is something that he thought maybe he sat down with advisors, maybe the advisors are, are out of shot, tied up like in hostile hostages, <laughs> and you know, they're just going, oh, Kevin, don't do it, don't do it. I don't know. It's so weird. On Christmas Eve as well, what, yeah. a, what a gift. <laughs> what a bounty. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Not good. Not good. Can't we please just make a joke about how they'll just put Christopher Plummer into the remake of that video? <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the safest thing to do. We should probably do that and then move on. Because we, we should have a question. Enough of, this, enough of this Christmas shenanigans. We've all caught up with what we did over the Christmas period. Frankly, it was dull. Uh, so let's get on to our question, which comes from email. And it's email at email.com. No, it's Patrick Bryan, uh, who has emailed in uh, to say, I recently rewatched Hereditary. And after hearing the Joni Mitchell song Both Sides Now, I was reminded of its use in the famous Emma Thompson scene from Love Actually. That's a scene in Love Actually where she listens to the Joni Mitchell song Both Sides Now. Uh, which got me thinking, what a double bill that would be. <laughs> Could the team recommend any other unlikely double bills linked by a song? And before I throw it out open to the team, Jimbo, you look absolutely... What? I can't access the internet without interfering with the microphone, and I have absolutely no musical knowledge whatsoever, so I fear I have little to offer here. Other than, is there another film that features Axel F? You know, luckily I said I only sent a briefing round for this, what, was it yesterday or a couple of days ago? Mm-hmm. A couple of days ago. Yeah, a couple yeah. of days ago, so you've only had a couple of days to prepare I for it. I didn't read it. Of course you didn't. Uh, but I, before I would bring everyone else in, because I know you guys have prepared, because you're sure. diligent, like Santa's little elves, uh, I'm going to say the one that springs to mind for me, which is, of course, Reservoir Dogs and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, both use Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede, and both are about lovable rogues trying to pull <laughs> off a heist. Um, oh, Kevin McAllister you don't like, but the Reservoir Dogs you're down with? <laughs> Fine. Reservoir Dogs is a better film. But the question is, Helen, is it a better mm. film than Pixels? I don't know. Yes. Film scholars are, are, are defined. Still, on, yes. They're, they're, they're a bit divided on the topic. Uh, so there, yeah, there you go. That's mine. That's okay. my one. Done. Hands wiped. Blanco. Well, I've got a couple. One is is it's it's not necessarily the unlikely uh, Joe, but it's unlikely use of the song at the time. Both Silver Linings Playbook mm-hmm. and Almost Famous use Stevie Wonder's My Cherie Amour in a sort of ironic way. Almost Famous uses it as uh, Penny Lane's stomach is being pumped after she's overdosed. Uh-huh. And Playbook uses it as Bradley Cooper starts to freak out as he realises everything about the truth about his wife and his relationship. They're both... It's this, you know, this lie, this beautiful, iconic, romantic song being used in a moment where characters are going through terrible, terrible things. And yes. I think, I think, and anyway, let's be honest, people should just watch Almost Famous and, to a slightly lesser extent, still Linings Playbook, because they're great. Well, Almost Famous is great, and Silver Linings Playbook is quite good. It's a film people, that happened. Film scholars actually undecided about whether Silver Linings Playbook is a better film than Pixels. Did you know that? <laughs> Again, I feel like they're pretty united, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Uh, I think they're pretty, pretty solid. Um, I was going to suggest one that's in a bajillion films, TV shows and everything else, simply because I once wrote a blog about it for the website and it was the first one that came to mind. And that is Back in Black by ACDC. Because it gives you a wealth of options. The two that I saw within a very short time frame that made me think of it originally were Iron Man and Megamind which both use it to indicate that a character is very much back to his, f- back on form, if you will, back 
if you like, in black. Um, <laughs> but it's also been in uh, Supernatural, obviously. Uh, black Hawk Down, School of Rock, The Smurfs, The Muppets. Uh, I, I don't know what else. Death Wish, I think. Um, Death Wish? And I think it was in that that episode of Alias. Do you remember where she was trying... You definitely remember I, I know exactly which one you're going to talk about. I believe it is the first episode of season two. <laughs> and that's or it might be the, the third one, of season two. Okay, and that's the one where she... The one where she tries on two very distinct and, and, and very key to the narrative different lingerie outfits. That's right. That's and when the whole them, SD6 thing gets blown up. That's right. And one of them is black and, and therefore it red. fits the narrative. That's it's good. not even gratuitous at all. So... Yeah, Back in Black by ACDC. Back in Black. I have. Uh, oh, sorry, you found one? I found one. Okay, You good. ready? Yeah. You ready? It is 1990 comedy Opportunity Knock starring Dana Carvey. <laughs> Why? And 1919 comedy Nuns on the Run starring Eric Idle and Robert Coltrane <laughs> because both feature The Race by Yellow. <laughs> oh, gosh. And... That's really all I could do in the last 30 seconds of frantic Googling. Uh, yes. But no, but that, 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 like, obviously most people know Yellow for Oh Yeah, which appears in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but The Race, one of their lesser-known hits, was, of course, uh, prominently featured in Nuns on the Run, which is an underrated masterpiece. Not quite on a par with Molly's game, but still very, very good. Opportunity Knocks, however, is a Dana Carvey film. So mm. We should uh, mention a couple of other ones uh, that are quite interesting. So you mentioned Yellow there. What's the name of the song from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh, yeah. Okay, that is also, it also plays a pivotal part in The Secret of My Success, the Michael J. Fox film from 1987, where there's a, uh, in hindsight... Slightly icky plot <laughs> yes. where his aunt uh, tries to seduce him and I think succeeds throughout. No, maybe she doesn't succeed, but she certainly tries to seduce him. And as uh, she's they're driving along in a limo, she's trying to seduce him, and he goes, chicka pow, please, no, it's not good. Um, it's a good song, though, yeah, mm. yeah. It does happen quite a bit, actually. There's a there's a song from Guardians of the Galaxy which is playing in the scene with Alan Tudyk and Matt Damon uh, in Deadpool 2. I think it's the Pina Colada song. I mm. think it's mm-hmm. that. Or maybe it's the uh, I Fooled Around and Fell in Love song. So that's clearly a homage. That's clearly you know a bit of a tip of the hat to, to a previous superhero film. I don't know. Do you think that sometimes when a movie uses a song really, really well, like when Scorsese uses Layla or Gimme Shelter or something like that, then all other filmmakers should not be allowed to use it anymore. Well, in point of fact, talking about Scorsese, he actually uses Gimme Shelter in three films. No less than three films. He uses it in Goodfellas, Casino, uh-huh. and The Departed. Well, he's allowed to do that, isn't he, though? Is he, it's Marty. Though? Yeah. Is he, though? I mean, shouldn't he find some other songs? Doesn't he have anything else on his iPod <laughs> shuffle? Uh, I, I, think, I think I can say, you know, as your lawyer, he definitely does. Yeah. He definitely, definitely. Like, he should include more does. yellow in his films. I think that's that's something that's well, missing. Coldplay. No, no. Specifically, the race. I'm saying. Oh right. Okay. Just so that you can have like you know the Irishman and nuns on the run in a musically linked double deal. That would be amazing. Spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Such a good film. It's not a good film. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's a film that I have gone on about how it's a masterpiece for ages, and then it got re-released, and I had to review it for Empire, and I had that. Horrible moment of revelation. Was like, it's a mint. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible it's film, fun, actually. Though. Film scholars are actually not divided on whether <laughs> Guns N' Run is a better film than Pixels. Uh, it is absolutely not a better film than Pixels. It is. It, it's not. You're an idiot. But oh, actually, um, recently, Unchained Melody crops up in oh, yeah? Holmes and Watson. Yeah. And 
another Bumblebee. film. Bumblebee. Yeah. Bumblebee uses Unchained Melody. Really well. Yes. Yeah. Holmes and Watson uses it. Less well. Really badly. <laughs> I would say less well. And that, of course, is used famously in Ghost. Mm-hmm. So Holmes and Watson is doing a riff on Ghost, which is a film that's over 20 years old. And, and also, so that that scene in that film, in mm. Ghost, has been riffed on so many times, of course, definitively in Naked Gun, but, like, just don't do yeah. that. Yeah. Like, why would... It's so unfair. Could I just observe something that happened over Christmas, which made me want to hug a stranger? I was on the what? train, and someone said, have you spoken to Willie? And the person turned to me and went, Prospect Place, Willie. And I was just like, oh, bless you. Bless you for that incredibly random, obscure reference to Ghost. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that happened. Did they then leap through the train? They did, yeah. (laughs) They went, get off my train! And I did, because, you know. (laughs) Salt and burn. Come on, salt and burn. (laughs) So I think the answer to this is not... Blanco's Martin Scorsese triple bill is pretty good, because the the question was about double bills, but I think the triple bill of uh, Goodfellas, Casino and The Departed, that's pretty good Mm quality-wise, but I would suggest a quadruple bill of unchained melody type films. All right, so you start with Ghost, then you go into Naked Gun Two and a Half, then you go into Bumblebee, and then you finish as all double, quadruple, triple bills should with Holmes and Watson, the greatest film of our times. Without wishing to give away spoilers for the reviews section, <laughs> I have some concerns with this yes? plan. You realise I'm going to overdub everything you say about Holmes and Watson with my spot on impression of you. Holmes and Watson! It's the greatest film I have ever seen! So it is! Wow. That Sorry, Helen, really... that was an incredible vault fast you just did there. Extraordinary. I, I, so really I should really be more consistent Gee, in my Helen, views. Be principled for once in your life. I mean, honestly, if, mm. if you're going to just try and get on Mrs. Brown's boys, I mean, why don't you just do a special audition tape anyway? I love Hamilton! <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's that question answered to the satisfaction of Patrick, Patrick Bryan. Thanks, Helen. Uh, Patrick Bryan. See, we spoke at the same time, so people would know it wasn't me. Uh, Patrick Bryan. So there you go. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, like Patrick Bryan found at his cost, you can get in touch with us uh, via Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, where we're Empire Magazine. Or you can, of course, email us, podcast at empireonline.c. O-M. Before we get into the movie news, Blanco, how's LA these days? LA is, well, it's recovering because obviously there's been massive fires uh, around it, mm-hmm. uh, which was rather nasty. Fortunately, I don't actually live in an area that was on fire. We could just smell it and the air was bad. Apart from that, we're all right. We, mm-hmm. We've just released a uh, an earthquake uh, early warning app for everyone's phones, which everyone is now, that's, of course, trying to just download and not good. being able to. Yeah. yeah. How many, how many earthquakes have you experienced in your time living in LA? What's it now? Twelve years? Uh, it'll be forty. It's fourteen years. Fourteen, fact, 14 years. years in about three days. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. I've been through a couple, but mostly minor ones. Mostly just the little tremors and things like that. Okay, Jimbo, you and I experienced uh, the earth moving in LA, didn't we? Once. <laughs> Always, Chris. What? 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 Helen? What is it? What's so funny? Oh, it's just something I read. It's fine. I was in my bedroom with Sam Toy when I felt the earth move. Uh, where were you? Uh, I was sitting- What, Helen? <laughs> I'm just... It's a very funny um, article that I'm reading. I was sitting outside the uh, Culver City Holiday Inn, which is uh, 
It was absolutely true. It was uh, Radisson. It was a Radisson, it was Radisson it was yes. Radisson. The Culver City Radisson, which, incidentally, that very morning I had seen James Cameron having breakfast there, and I found that so random because he was properly slumming it. It was a <laughs> shitty hotel. Uh, that's my uh, trip advisor rating for you there. I, I, I thought it was a fine hotel. I've stayed there a couple of times, and other hotels are available. Yes, they are. Uh, but yes, I was sitting outside, and I'd never experienced an earthquake before, and I always thought an earthquake would be, you know, like vibrate like rumbly, like, 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 like standing on top of something, you know, like a vibrate thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not. Like it's, like, it's like a weird sort of swaying, quite like soporific motion. It's actually quite relaxing. It just sways backwards and forwards. Yeah. It's a slightly, it's an odd thing. That's, that's not most of the earthquakes I've experienced. Most of the ones I've experienced are like God punching the ground. Oh, really? And then you sort of, everything shakes is, after that. Is it like the bit in Dracula Unbound where he punches an army with a fist made of bats? <laughs> Very similar. Because that's similar. how I always imagined it. It's it's much like the experience of watching the movie Pixels and realising suddenly you're watching the movie Pixels and your world has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, on purpose. <laughs> what? Why, why would you say that about Pixels? It's the truth, Chris. Why would... You know it to be true, so it's your feelings. It has a bit where Josh Gad has sex with Qbert. What's not to love? Many, many things are not to love about that and several other scenes in Pixels. Well, you need to watch it again. No, Because what you'll no. find is a... Uh, a f- pretty, pretty inventive mainstream comedy that doesn't suffer from the usual uh, Adam Sandler excesses. He's playing a pretty normal guy, level-headed. Mm-hmm. The effect sequences are fairly inventive. Some nice jokes. Josh Gad <laughs> and Peter Dinklage are uh, give comedic tour de forces, uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's just a great, great time with the movies. Wow, I, I have so many questions about what you just said. Tell me this. Um does Adam Sandler date a woman who is significantly hotter than he is? Well, I mean, define attractive, Helen. If you feel that Michelle Monaghan <laughs> is more attractive than Adam Sandler, then there's nothing much I can do to help you here. If mm. you feel, you know, I don't see people in that way. I see an Adam Sandler movie and I think, oh, he's hooked up with Kate Beckinsale now. That's natural. That's normal. That's totally fine. Who's he hooked up with now? Salma Hayek? Yes, I can see that. Totally fine. I'm I'm okay with the Adam Sandler wags. Okay. All good. All, all good. All good for me. Um, I should say that I am sponsored this week by Pixels. <laughs> I mean, it's the only explanation for how long we have spent. Yeah. Um, it is available now Pixels. in all good and evil um, video stores. Anyway, should we uh, move on to some movie news? God, please couple of things to talk about. Sure. Kevin Smith is hard at work, apparently, on a reboot of Jay and Silent Bob. No other details. Reboot like new Jay and but Silent Bob? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand. Because there are no details, but he's involved and Jason Mewes is involved. And I presume they're going to be playing Jay and Silent Bob. So that's not a reboot. That's just more Jay and Silent Bob, right? Well, fine. Good. But technically, yeah. technically, now I do know a little tiny bit about this. Technically, oh, technically what they're doing is riffing on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. The best one. In which, in which uh, obviously, Jay and Silent Bob learn that a movie is being made of their comic book and they decide to stop it oh, because yeah. they're angry about that. This time, I believe there is a ruby, reboot of that movie happening. And they go across the country again to try and stop that because they're not happy about that because they can't stand reboots. And that's the joke. Okay. That's, I mean, there are it's worse. Right, but it's a concept. I yeah. mean, you know, there are worse premises for a movie See, like Pixels. pixels. <laughs> so, I guess. Aliens intercept the message from Earth in 1982, which includes video games. Why would they be broadcast? And then 
because we're sending a signal out in space saying, Are hey, we? everybody, we're here. And they misinterpret that as a uh, as an act of war. And therefore, they send down yeah, their no, troops the in the form of video game characters. Mm-hmm. How is that stupid, Helen? <laughs> it's not, Chris. In fact, I totally agree with everything you've said about everything. This is a hate crime. And I will be protesting to my congressperson. <laughs> so you just you can't do my impression. You can't do my voice. You can't do my voice. You can't do my voice. Can't do my, oh, 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 <laughs> very good. Well done. Fucking Bobby Davro over here. Yeah. Did you see that uh, Todd McFarlane has been talking about the new adaptation of Spawn? Mm. Out, at which point okay. he basically said, this will, film will be no fun whatsoever. Which I thought was an, an interesting marketing tactic on his part. Uh, and, but also consistent, considering the last adaptation of his work was no fun whatsoever either. So that's nice. Uh, specifically, he said there will be no joy in it. There will be no happiness. There will be no fun. It will be two and a half hours of bleak ugliness was pretty much what he said. Okay, well, that, that's yeah. I was wondering if those were the exact words yeah. he used. This film will be shit. Don't go and see it. No. Uh, it's odd. Like, I, I really liked Spawn, the comics, back in the 90s, but the film adaptation with Michael Jai White in it is not good. Mm. Uh, with John Leguizamo as The Violator, which is a horrible name for a character. Mm. Um, Isn't your pal Martin Sheen in it? Oh, what, in the in the old one? Yes, he's yeah, in it. Oh, yeah. no, yes, you're right. He is. Yeah. He's the police guy. So therefore, by default, do you think it's the greatest it's, movie ever made? Yeah. yeah it's, it's a four-star masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> the four-star masterpiece that is Spawn uh, is getting rebooted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, this, it's interesting, but he was saying, you know, obviously uh, people find it hard to get into a serious headspace when watching uh, superhero movies because they're so used to the kind of Avengers slash Marvel default. This is default. so not true. I agree with you. And he was saying, you know, superhero movies should be no fun. And of course, that is the case. CF all of DC's output oh, so I no, don't know <laughs> I don't know quite with the exception of Aquaman Helen. and Wonder Woman thank you well um, <laughs> you know so I don't know I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with Spawn uh, just because he's a he's a, a kind of fun character but uh, but I think Doctor Strange has raised the bar when it comes to prehensile capes so they do have their work <laughs> cut out for them uh, there you go that's a quote for you um, yeah I know that should be on the, on the DVD case it should yes raises the bar for prehensile capes <laughs> so Jeff's brother what prehensile <laughs> capes and Jeff capes. oh god that was that was an 80s strongest man in the world reference <laughs> yes, fucking hell yes it was <laughs> Hey, anyway, on movie yes. news. Oh yes, um, hey, everybody. Saoirse Ronan joined the new Wes Anderson movie. The did French you know? Dispatch. She did, um, making lovely. an already very good cast even better. Um, so uh, she obviously worked with him before on the Grand Budapest Hotel. She's also reuniting with Timothée Chalamet, um, who she worked with. Timmy Two Meats. No, in Lady Bird. <laughs> um, and uh, they'll be joining Benicio del Toro, Jeffrey Wright, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, and Bill Murray. So that's really, really. Good casting. There are still more rumours of even more people to come, potentially. We could be looking at Brad Pitt, Natalie Portman and Leia Sidhu as well, in theory. Wow. Because <gasps> that's, that's very good. What's the name of the film again? The French Dispatch. The French Dispatch. Very exciting stuff. Blanco, did you bring any news? I most certainly did. Um, the, uh, the BAFTA Rising Star nominations have come oh, out this morning, and yes. it's a lovely eclectic bunch. We have uh, Letitia Wright mm-hmm. of Black Panther. We have Lakeith Stanfield of Sorry to Bother You. We have Cynthia Erivo of Windows. Widows. Uh, Widows, even. Windows. Windows. Also Windows. <laughs> she looks out of them a lot. Come on. She was great in the update. Windows 95 I thought was her best. <laughs> every, every time she has six films open, one of them has to close. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> see, see I, love, I love that Chris is laughing at that. <laughs> 
I'm oh. keeping tabs on her career. Oh, it's good. You it's open good. tabs. Yeah, it's yeah, good. It's good, good shit. We also have we also have Barry Keoghan from American Animals mm-hmm. and Jesse Buckley from uh, Wild Rose, which is a, a lovely a lovely selection mm. of people. I have a prediction that uh, Letitia Wright will break out her Shuri skills, yep. hack the system <laughs> because it's voted for by the people. You can actually go and for click and vote it. You can, yeah, yep. I, I, and 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 she'll hack it and totally win. I, I have to agree, just because usually the person who wins this award is the one who's in the most high profile single film, and of course Black Panther is the most. So what you're saying is film out of that she's lot. a Shuri thing. Uh, she might, she could well be. Yes, but I mean, it's a, it's a, actually a fantastic lineup, and most of those people have actually had a banner year. We've all seen the Rising Star Award in the past nominees who just seem to have been around for a very long time, and a lot of these people have been. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them have been working for years, but I think they all have genuinely reached a different level this year, and so it's mm-hmm. a, it's a sort of more uh, logical lineup than usual, and I'm, I'm very impressed by it. Yeah, good lineup, sound lineup, fine lineup. Uh, so you can. Go to a website and vote for that. Um, I don't know. Google it. There was some sad news over the Christmas period, which was that Film 2018 is the last series of that venerable show on the BBC. The, the film programme is his actual official title, but it was obviously renamed every single year. And there will not be a Film 2019. The, the axe has come down on the show at the Beeb. Is it because they're so intimidated by the quality of this podcast, they don't feel that they can put up a fight? I think the answer is almost certainly not. Right. Mm. I I do think this is a shame. I think it's, you know, it's been around for so long. I think many of us have very fond memories of watching it growing up. Um, But it has, I think, maybe struggled to figure out what it wants to do in in recent years. There's been a lot of toing and froing in terms of the format. I think they've had great, great people on, but I don't think they've always known exactly what to do with them. They've They've also had Chris. They've also had terrible people, yes, as you (laughs) say. There we go. Um, But no, I I just think, think they haven't quite figured out what they want it to be and I I wish they could actually because I will miss it Indeed it was a, a, a classic of our time it was uh, back in the day it was Barry Norman it was basically mm-hmm. telling us everything we needed to know about upcoming releases and, and it's the sort of programme that got a lot of us into our jobs it is in many ways yeah. partly responsible for Chris so we're very 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 <laughs> sorry please don't watch Pixels yeah he should have been put out of his misery a long time ago just for that uh, just as punishment for that uh, yeah I feel very very sad about this uh, and indeed responsible surely and obviously partially responsible for this uh, I been I've been involved with the show now for since film 2010 uh, and it was really really fun to be a part of I, I, I enjoyed the live revamping I thought Claudia Winkerman and Danny Lee were a great team uh, obviously in recent years the last couple of seasons it's been series sorry uh, it's been guest hosts and that was really fun and brought a new fresh dynamic to it as well but the, I also feel that it was perhaps less and less important for the Beeb as time oh, yeah. went along. When the show came back with Claudia Winkleman as the host, it was something like 20 episodes of 40 minutes each, mm. and it went down to something like 10 episodes of 30 minutes each over the years. It yeah. just kept dwindling, like just diminishing. And, and, and also they did weird things like not have it run over Oscar season. Yeah, it would start right after the Oscars. Yeah. It made it's no so sense. Odd. Never made sense to me. And this is something that happened. In fact, we had Barry Norman on the podcast a few years ago. And we even talked about that, the idea that it would move around the schedules constantly. It was on really, really late at night. You couldn't find it. The Northern Ireland, we always got it like half an hour later as mm-hmm. well, uh, which is really weird, but that's just the way it is. And it would stop for the summer months. It would just stop. 
and more recently when it came back it was stopped before the Oscars so you you felt it was never really part of the film conversation and it should be I don't think the BBC are going to completely stop they're, they're talking about something will take its place uh, I'm sure something good will come out of it for the next few months and we shall see what happens yeah. I am available Helen is available yeah sure these two aren't. Uh, do do get in touch. You know where I am. You can DM me at Chris Hewitt is available uh, on Pixels Twitter. 2019 could be a, a new way to go. Honestly, bring back Movie Drum with me as the host instead of Alex Cox or Mark Cousins. One drawback, it will be Pixels every week. That is a drawback. We should talk about the box office over the Christmas period as well. Uh, it was dominated across the Atlantic by Aquaman which yeah. has now made over $200 million at the box office. But the Christmas holiday does allow for movies to post very, very small drops at the box office and sometimes even gains. And so the likes of Mary Poppins Returns, Bumblebee and Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse have all recovered, not after bad starts, but maybe slightly underwhelming starts, and they're actually doing all right as well. So what do we think of that? Well, you said that Aquaman was going to be big, and, and it, it was. I mean, it certainly had, it's in this country, at least in my perception around London, I think it had more support than the others, more posters, more, you know, buses, that kind of thing. Mary Poppins was the one that people seemed to be most excited about in conversation. I think there were a lot of families going to see that over Christmas, because um, it was a very family Christmas outing sort of a film so Bumblebee and Spider-Man are the ones that seem to have suffered a little bit in the shuffle um, which is a shame because they are definitely the best two of those four they're stunning stunning especially in Spider-Verse's case stunning film Mm. Um, and they've maybe been a little bit squeezed out so I hope they stick around in cinemas long enough for people to actually get there and discover them Um, because uh, especially Spider-Verse you you need to see it on the big screen Spider-Verse is without doubt one of the best films of last year and Bumblebee was without doubt the best Transformers film not that that's a hugely high bar but a really good fun film and it would be a real shame if this you know marked an end because it feels like Transformers had A sort of turned a corner but finally come into its own and been what it should have been all along and if it now ends that seems mm. you know mm. a bit of a sorry close to that saga it is interesting I think of the of the the four because there are some other films that came out but if you look at uh, animated films first of all so Ralph Breaks the Internet came out uh, a few weeks ago and The Grinch which got your cash dollar over it the did. Christmas period as well. And The Grinch has done incredibly well, $267 million in the States to date. Uh, Ralph breaks into that, only $179 million. It's all relative. Oh. There's still a lot of money. You'd retire on that. You'd be okay. <laughs> uh, and Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, $114 million so far, and it's displaying great legs. No wonder, it's got eight of them. So it's doing, it's doing, it's clawing back on the other ones, as I think word of mouth is truly getting around for that movie, that yeah. this is a film mm. that you should see on the big screen and needs to be seen on the big screen. And uh, hopefully that one will do better and better as things go on. Of course, this is not uh, the true gauge of a movie's worth, but... Of course. The, Grin- the Grinch is interesting, of course, because it came out much earlier, didn't it? And it got that sort of sweet, kind of early Christmas feeling kind of yeah. money. Um, you, you usually get two or three Christmas movies that come out in sort of late November, basically Thanksgiving time in the US or late November here, when everyone just really wants it to be Christmas because it's just depressing that it isn't yet. Um, and I, th- I feel like it benefited hugely just from timing that way. Um, so maybe Spider-Man would have done better, you know, in January, February. But And I, I do wonder whether Spider-Man in any way was affected by 
at the general public's assumption of oh here we go again another spider-man movie without realizing quite what a wonderful take on the character it was i mean there is there is spider fatigue in some in some fashion there is there is you know there is there were several hundred movies before the the current one and there's there's tom holland is still the current live action spider-man it's entirely possible there was a big group of the audience who were saying do we really have to go through this again without realizing quite what without realizing that it's miles better than so many of the others uh, more we, or we, less <laughs> hey because because it's, it's miles morales, miles morales. yeah and it was morales yeah, more or less that was good oh, it's so that, good that, that, amazing. You, that you both uh, had to explain yeah. your joke but yeah spider-man i also think spider-man into the spider-verse suffered slightly from just not a lot of people really knowing about it i don't think it got the like as helen said i don't think it quite got the mm. blitzkrieg of publicity that a, a live action spider-man movie would have, mm. would have done mm. bumblebee which is interesting to me because uh it wasn't marketed as Transformers Bumblebee no and I think if you'd maybe stuck the word Transformers in there it might have done better who knows but it's again displaying decent legs it will get past 100 million it's up to Paramount to decide whether that's enough to, to green light more Mary Poppins Returns is actually the one that surprised me I thought that would have done enormous business same here uh, and it's at the moment uh, at 114 million at the time of recording so I don't know but they're all they're all doing okay they're all doing fine as indeed is the greatest film of all time Holmes and Watson uh, the only film, oh the only film I've seen that could maybe rival Pixels, <laughs> twenty-three million so far. That is not good, not good at all. Um, before we get into talking to our guests, uh, we should also mention that there were some some sad deaths over the Christmas period as well. Dame Tune Whitfield, the star mm. of Terry and June, and of course, absolutely fabulous, passed away at the age of ninety-three. Yeah, a wonderful, wonderful actress. Always made everything she was in better and funnier and warmer by her presence. I thought she was just great. Yeah, absolutely. And the the Hong Kong action director, Ringo Lam, who directed, among other films, City on Fire, which became a huge influence in Reservoir Dogs and Quentin Tarantino, as far as Chow Yun-Fat. It's a really good film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, he died at the age of 63. And just the other day, Bob Einstein, who you may know best as Marty Funkhauser and Kirby Enthusiasm, but he was also in the likes of Ocean's 13 and... Uh, Arrested Development, he passed away at the age of 76. And he was, in fact, Albert Brooks's older brother. He was great. Time now for this week's guests. Robert Zemeckis has been in the podcast a couple of times because he keeps making movies, and we're very, very happy about that because he's a guy made Back to the Future and he can make whatever he wants for however long he wants, as far as I'm concerned. His new film, Welcome to Marwin, is out this week. We'll be discussing it in a few seconds. It also stars Steve Carell, and uh, recently they came into London to talk about the movie, and we sent along Ollie Richards to have a good old natter with them. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, Robert Zemeckis and Steve Carell. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, really enjoyed this film. Really, really interesting movie, like really unusual story. Can you tell me a bit, first of all, about the genesis of the project? <clears throat> I first came upon a story. I was channel surfing, and I came upon the documentary that was playing on public television. And as I was watching the, the documentary for about 10 or 15 minutes, I started to really get this profound sense that inside this story I was this germ of this idea that could basically transcend the documentary into what has become this feature film. And tell me, um, for because people won't have seen it yet, tell me what it was about uh, Mark's story that you really enjoyed. Well, there are two things. I, I, I first was really taken by this idea that... Um, uh, this idea that's uh, in 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 Mark's life of this sort of the healing power of his artistic expression, 
Um, and that was the that was the underlying theme that I really, really hooked into personally. But then very quickly, I understood that, you know, he had, you know, he was taking these still photographs or these little tableaus that he would set up. But then he would talk about these elaborate, dramatic stories that were happening between these photographs. And I immediately thought, now that's the stuff of movies, um, you know, to to, you know, let the audience into this imaginary world uh, that's happening in 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 this character's mind's eye and bring that to life. And Steve, had you ever heard of Mark Hogenkamp? I was not familiar with him. I I stumbled on the documentary and I watched it and immediately tried to find out who mm-hmm. had the rights to it because I felt the same way. It was so intriguing and uh, it's it's such a great story of of redemption and and uh survival and hope and love and uh and and sadness and anguish. There, there were so many things wrapped up into Mark's story um, that I I found it to be incredibly compelling. And the way that the film is done is fascinating because Mark, you know, after this trauma that's happened to him, uh, part of his way of coping with it is retreating into his world of his dolls that he photographs, which means that the film is you know part live action and part the doll world. For you, Steve, what was it like the first time you saw yourself as a doll? Fantastic. <laughs> so handsome and can do anything. I, uh, when Bob first explained what the doll would look like with the, you know, to, to actually see the joints in the arm, mm-hmm. to, but to have that come to life. And uh, it was interesting because as we were shooting it, we got to see a, a very crude avatar of the doll, of our our you know bodies in these doll bodies, and it was fascinating to see how your character as a doll moves around, mm-hmm. and um, um, it was it was fun. It was it was sort of a dream come true to see yourself as that that heroic sort of G.I. Joe. And I was trying to work out, I mean, so many actors um, have been action figures for movies. They have you been one before or is this the first time? I, I believe this is the first and the last time you'll ever see me <laughs> as an action figure, yeah. Not necessarily the last. You well, know. thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and how was, and the way this is done is this performance capture. I know performance capture is everyone, I think, who's a film fan knows what performance capture is. But I've never been on one of those stages. What is it like, you know, the first day you're on that something like that it is the oddest thing ever because you don't know what to expect because every almost everything is imagined you know you have you have the semblance of props you have the semblance of a of a of a car an overturned car that you're examining but it's just the just the skeleton or or the the you're just you're, you're essentially you're using your imagination in this this room. I don't know what you call it. The, the volume. The volume. Ooh. It's called the volume. It's big green space, big green soundstage full of how many cameras? A couple of hundred. You know, the uh, receptors. Receptors that are that are um, capturing the the uh, the performance of the actor in three dimensions. So it's so it's recording absolutely everything that is happening right. on yeah. that stage. Yeah, you have to imagine like a block of infrared, l- invisible light that fills the stage in the actor's 
work inside that. And if they venture out of the bounds of it, then they won't be recorded anymore. And what do you do? I mean, actors are used to things being there and acting in front of them. And, but going onto this stage, it's going to be a very strange environment. Mm-hmm. What do you do to immediately get people comfortable working in that kind of environment? Well, first I try to explain to the actor that imagine you're doing black box theater, right? And it's just going to be, you're going to have a chair and your character and you're going to have to create a scene. That's what they actually are doing. But then we have a little, we have a few more. We have, then, then we give them everything that we've got, you know, illustrations. We have this, um, you know, this sort of copycat, uh, you know, uh, video thing that, you know, we, they can watch themselves walk through a rudimentary environment and see how it kind of works. And then, you know, I just try to explain to them. So when you look to, over here, there's going to be an overturned car. And when you look over here, there's going to be a tree. And that's sort of the best that I can do. Um, He's very good at doing it. But, but they're He's very good at it. And they're very good. They, they, they really don't. They, they really don't. Uh, I, I haven't had any. I mean, look, I'll be, the one complaint I've heard, and I've worked with a lot. Of, I've done this with a lot of actors. They, the universal complaint is that they don't get to wear the costume. I assumed you got to wear the costume. No. You did? No, they have to wear, they have to wear a leotard with markers on it. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. I yeah. misunderstood. Oh, what yeah. you meant. No, I thought man. you meant they complained they didn't character. get to wear the leotard. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. No one's complaining you know, about. Let me wear a leotard. Not Come wearing on. the leotard. It would work better if they were completely naked. We don't. We don't do it that did way. Did you request that? I did. I did. No one was having it. <laughs> How long does it take you to get used to working in in that environment? Um, but pretty quickly, I think everyone. Once you uh, once you start, it's it's kind of addictive. It's it's fun mm. because. You can do anything, and it's very freeing to know that it's all within your imagination. And uh, once you get past, I, and I'm sure some actors, obviously, it's a stumbling block if you can't actually see something. But it's all pretend anyway, so um, it was fun. It was fun to just imagine what, what would be around you. There's another thing, aside from the technology in me, there's another thing that struck me as making it, you know, very of this moment in that um, Marx, it's not a fetish, but he enjoys wearing women's shoes. And it struck me that it was not so very long ago that that would have been treated as a joke in a film. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this film, it's completely non-judgmental about it and everyone is very accepting of, of who he is. Can you tell me a bit about what you thought about that? Because it's quite a fundamental thing in the film, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's just, you know, you know well, I mean, the, 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 the dramatic centerpiece of, um, of um, the movie is that, you know, that our hero, Mark, was uh, beaten within an inch of his life by intolerant people because of his, um, you know, his nonconformist, you know, gender expression. It just was a component of who this guy is, and he's to meet him in person. He's he's the lovely, lovely guy, and he's completely void of any cynicism, and he's he's really goes through life with an open heart, and that's that's what I leaned into in terms of his character, and that was just a component of who he is, and just again, as Bob was saying, just. Uh, just a very honest expression of of something that he liked to do and was summarily 
beaten and and really robbed of so many things because of it. And the fact that he could come out the other side as still an incredibly generous, caring human being, I think is a real testament to the, the type of person he is. And what's his life now after everything he, he went through? It's good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I mean, I think that that that, that the, the most telling, the most telling um, um, representation of his healing is he, he he dismantled Marwin. He doesn't need Marwin. Call. He doesn't need the town anymore. So he's on to different adventures. Oh wow! Didn't know yeah. it was gone. Yeah. He. I received an email from him about four days ago, and he said that he is just starting to illustrate again. Because he's feeling um, more dexterity, mm-hmm. and is uh, he's he's kind of getting his his uh, ability to draw again. Uh, so he's dabbling in that, which I think is a a really positive thing to hear. How amazing, uh, Robert! I I suspect you may be aware of this, but recently the Hollywood Reporter did a survey of um, which movies film fans would most like to see a new entry in, and. Uh, there was Back to the Future was voted the one that people would most like to see uh, rebooted. How do you feel about that? How would you feel about someone redoing uh, one of your films? Well, it depended who. It depends on who it was, I guess. If you, um, I think if you could bring Alfred Hitchcock back from the dead and he rebooted one of my films, I'd really like to see that. I mean, it's it's unlikely. But <laughs> right. No, so so you know. Uh, I think, yeah, I've, you know, obviously I, I've been, uh, you know, people have been talking about this. Um, I find it fascinating that the Hollywood Reporter felt it was necessary to spend the money to go out into the world and poll people to see which films they want to have remade. I thought, you know, I guess that's important for us to understand and know in, in society. But um, I know what the people are saying when they're saying, oh, I'd like to see Back to the Future. That's they're expressing their, you know, their appreciation and their affinity for the movie. And I get that. I know that they know if I really if you really sat down to them and, and asked them one follow up question after that. They would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess it would be f- I guess if all the actors were not 35 years older and yeah, I guess if. Yeah, I guess that our sensibilities of of the charm of it being made in the 1980s would be different. That they probably what I'm basically saying is, even though that's that's an easy question to answer, if they really thought about it, they'd probably say, "No, nah, I don't think I really want to see it." It would be like saying, "Do you really want to see, you know, I mean, do you really want to see a CG version of The Wizard of Oz? I mean, do you really want to see that?" I or is there is there a magnificent charm in seeing it as a historical document of the 1930s? Yeah. I think there's a great charm in there, and that movie is is lived through more generations than Back to the Future. But I'm very I'm listen I'm I'm very honored that so many generations, uh, which are which is astounding to me. Um, still appreciate the movie. Mm, I mean, I guess the their answer really is: I kind of wish it was still the '80s, and I could. And then it would everyone be was still the cool. same age. Yeah, <laughs> then it would be kind of cool because we'd have the same energy and the same feel of the movies that they love. 
And on a similar vein, with uh, performance capture being a tool that you are so comfortable now, there are quite a few of your films from the past conceivably could be done in that world. Do you think if you were to, if you had had the tools at the time when you made, for example, Back to the Future mm-hmm. or Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which could be made mm-hmm. in a performance capture world, do you think you would have done them with that? Well, they wouldn't have had the same charm. I mean, Roger Rabbit could be made so easily now. I mean, it would be so easy to make Roger Rabbit that it just wouldn't be as interesting. I mean, why would we spend the money, time? I don't even know if we could find enough artists to hand draw. I mean, I think animators would say, wait, you want me to, you want me to draw every one of these frames with my hands? I don't think they even, nobody, I don't think anybody knows how to do that anymore. So, I mean, you know, like the thing that makes Roger Rabbit so charming is that we didn't have a single computer to do anything. And it's, I mean, it's my favorite film of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know there's been talk in the past of maybe doing another one. Has that disappeared now? All I can tell you, way back when I was, when I had my, uh, about 10 years ago, when I had my, um, my, I had an overall deal at, at, at Disney, I developed a sequel screenplay for it, which is really pretty cool. It's really, really great. Um, And um, uh, I think the title is Who, Who Framed Jessica Rabbit? Um, and um, um, but I didn't get any traction. I didn't get any traction from the studio. I don't think. I don't think um, the the Roger Rabbit franchise f- fits into the sort of current Disney princess branding that we have now. There there are no princesses in Roger Rabbit. I mean, I don't know if I could. I certainly couldn't fund one myself. You can have all of my money to make the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool screenplay, though. It's a really cool screenplay. It'd be for Roger Rabbit fans. They would really appreciate it. It was really, it, it, it is really good. The, the original writers who wrote Roger wrote it. And so many of your films are completely beloved, and um, so many of the films you made in the eighties are really defining of what movies were in the eighties. You were part mm-hmm. of that group, and eighties culture has become so popular again. You know, uh, series like Stranger Things that really tried to recapture the 80s thing. Why do you, do you have any kind of view on why you think that's come back? I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess it's the same you know, thing with me. Uh, when I was, you know, uh, in school, I was a young kid in the 60s and I was in, you know, I, I, well, you know what I think it is? I think it's, I think it's the culture that does it. I mean, I think that... Um, because um, um, these 80s, the 80s movies were sort of um, born out of the second golden age of cinema, which was the 70s. And they kind of took the themes of the 70s and kind of expanded them to the sort of the, the mass audience, if you will, that that became this kind of cultural touchstone that everyone wants to go back to kind of feel. And I felt that I, I think you could say the same thing about, well, for me anyway, I, I, I was fascinated with, you know, the 1940s and all the World War II movies that were being made in the 60s. You know, and so I was like always wondering, you know, studying and thinking about that period in time. So maybe maybe going back, you know, 20 or 30 years, you know, to a different time is sort of a natural course of how our culture kind of advances. So for both of you, what were the what were the defining movies of your childhood that made you realize movies were a thing? Wow. Well, certainly. A bunch of this gentleman's right here. I mean, I, 
Which is intimidating when you step on the set <laughs> and here's here's the guy who's created, you know, so much of what you love cinematically and and what you know and 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 someone who has created so much magic. because um, I think that's that's part of that's part of what I love about movies in general is the magic. The stepping into a, a theater with a group of people and a communal experience and going to some other place and and visiting uh, a realm that that doesn't exist in your world and uh, and I think Bob has you know really cornered the market on that so so you can imagine how intimidated I was that <laughs> that first day on the set I think everybody was like wow we're working with Robert Zemeckis are you kidding me and how do you get through that. Um, through some blood, sweat, and tears that first day, uh, but you know, but but he's so unassuming and unpretentious and and kind and generous and and is a partner really with everyone with, and and one of the things I loved about working with this gentleman to my right was that he treats everyone with the same degree of respect from. The, the dolly grip to the camera operator to the costume designer to the actors. Everyone was on an equal footing and everyone was just a, an equal component of, of uh, a creative process. And I think that's, that's what really stuck out to me is that we were all in it together. It was an ensemble and we were just trying to make something as, as, as good as we can make it. Wonderful. Thank you. Again, both of you, congratulations on Thank you. Welcome to Marwin. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. So that was Robert Zemeckis and Steve Carell, and let's start with their movie, Welcome to Marwin Blanco. Yes. Uh, Welcome to Marwin is Thank you. loosely adapted from the documentary Marwin Cole, which came out in 2010. Uh, It's the story of a man named Mark Hogenkamp, who was attacked in a bar by people who didn't seem to like that he was talking about being a cross-dresser and and his general lifestyle. Uh, A bunch of Nazis, basically, who jumped him in a bar, uh, beat him nearly to death, basically wiped out many of his memories and took away a lot of his sort of the coma he was in took away a lot of his artistic ability he'd been a very you know talented artist before the attack and as part of his recovery process he began constructing uh, a sort of a a model village of a fictional uh, Belgian town called Marwen mm-hmm. uh, he populated it with dolls uh, based on people he knew uh, a lot of women he knew and and a character based on himself called Captain Hoagie who was a hero who fought Nazis and also had to deal with his own issues and it basically helped him work through his issues and so Steve Carell plays Mark Hogenkamp and uh, and and that's basically the story of the film. He also plays Hoagie, and he so does yeah, indeed. so they have the sort of the animated dolls that then look like Janelle Monae and Leslie Mann, and Mary and, Weaver, and, and all the rest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so basically, we also see as well as him dealing with his real life tragedy, we see his fantasy life in this village using performance capture, bringing Hoagie and the rest of the dolls to life mm-hmm. in a story where they battle the Nazis and deal with a nasty blue fairy <laughs> played by Diane Kruger, yeah. who is called Deja Thoris. Uh, John Carter. Yeah, John Carter. John Carter, not there. 
and uh, yeah, and and it's 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 that story. Are there Jedax in it? No, no Jedax, sadly. How, 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 this this feels, this sounds like an interesting movie stylistically. Yeah, yeah, I was I was really into it, but I haven't seen the documentary, so I think that almost served me well in this case because I think uh, I think that is the superior film. That seems to be the consensus, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it seems that people who have seen that are very very hard on this film. Um, but this did kind of get to me. I thought it was a good performance from Carell, and um, he's clearly a guy with major issues so the fact that he objectifies literally the women in his life made a certain amount of sense in that context and I think that they are given the chance in the film to point out you know, on a, at least a couple of occasions um, this is not really cool um, and I think that that comes across so that kind of made up for a lot of the sort of what, one of the main criticisms I've seen which has been the sort of the objectification of the women because he's clearly not a well man, and I think this sort of gets that across. But yeah, I was I was just interested because I didn't I didn't know the story, so that may have served me in mm. this case. The slight problem I found with it was, and I, I did enjoy a lot of it. The problem I found was the tone is very odd. It's it sort of tries to strike a balance between his dark but sort of uplifting at the same time story and the weirdness that goes on in the village and the comedy that goes on in the village. Uh, and honestly, uh, it it just doesn't quite mesh as successfully as, as Zemeckis maybe have hoped. And I, I think it leaves the film feeling a little bit unbalanced and a little bit weird. And I think it's a, a difficult prospect for people who just want one type of sort of story or or maybe we're mm. thinking it was one thing and maybe it's another thing mm. i just i think that might be a problem for people yeah it is interesting though also i'd like to give a shout out to the score alan silvestri mm. did it and he i think very consciously did a sort of captain america style score for this so obviously mm. i'm on board for that that was really good <laughs> three stars then for welcome to Morrowind, which as we always say in the podcast is indeed a recommendation was well, not a recommendation is our two stars for Holmes and Watson. Huh. Should we talk about Holmes and Watson? Wait, Nick, give it two stars? Two stars. That's at least one more star than it deserves. I'd say two stars is about right, okay. but we'll get into it because it's not a good film. It's really not a good film. I've been <laughs> looking forward to this for so long. So they were shooting this around the beginning of 2017 yeah. at uh, Greenwich Old Royal Naval College, which is near my house. I run past every morning. I saw them shooting. Um, I saw uh, John C. Riley on the Women's March. He, he marched right behind me, pretty much in costume. So I was so disposed to like this film, right? I've been really pulling for it. And it's so unfunny. It's so, so bad. I, I almost don't have words for it. So it is Holmes and Watson, as you know them, uh, as we meet them, they're testifying against Rafe Fiennes Moriarty, who's about to go away for life if, if Holmes will just turn up at the last minute and provide the vital evidence that will convict him. Um, but they're, will they turn up or not? Who knows? Because they're distracted by other things because they're both complete buffoons is the idea in this. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, there's a lot of very modern jokes uh, really good cast as well as Ray Fiennes you've got people like Rebecca Hall in there yeah. you know just got Rob Brydon Rob Brydon Rob Brydon does more in the poster for this film than he does in the movie he yeah plays, that's fair he plays the Strad, and you just think like how are these people like Rob Brydon's a really really funny guy mm. and they give him I mean, nothing in the film they give him nothing to do I suspect there's loads of deleted scenes and extra alts where he actually is allowed to cut loose a little bit but otherwise it's just that he's been straitjacketed in a way and it just doesn't work and there's, there'll be really like crowbarred in references to like 
cool modern things and yeah. like the joke is that they're mentioning a cool modern thing but it's yeah. in a Holmes and Watson movie set in the 1900s like yeah. also the the timing of the movie so Queen Victoria's alive but also yeah. the Titanic uh, the, yeah. the, um, it's really clumsy it's very badly done there's there's the scene I mean I, honestly I wanted to like it because I, I love these guys together I think Step Brothers is amazing uh, they got such chemistry and on paper it sounds brilliant on paper yes Will Ferrell is Sherlock Holmes John C. Riley is Dr. Watson Sign what me up. could possibly Possibly go wrong. <laughs> so, Ethan Cohen. Ethan Cohen, the, the writer director, who I have to say with a heavy heart, is just not very good at the movies. I've examined his work and it ain't good, and he should not be uh, allowed to to movie again. I think for a while at least. It's clumsy. It's ill conceived. But at the same time, there are some scenes that did make me laugh. But really? it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really know what it wants to be though. So it doesn't know whether it wants to be a straight up parody, which would have worked. Uh, sort mm. of sucker Abraham sucker type affair where there's joke after joke after joke so you have that sometimes they go to a fair and there's loads of background jokes and people falling over in the background all sorts of stuff but then it pulls his punches And but there's a scene where uh, Watson meets and instantly falls for Rebecca Hall who is playing a doctor and there's a semi funny grasping for a joke where Holmes and Watson can't quite fathom the idea of a woman doctor and how that works and yeah. they keep dismissing the idea but then they go to do an autopsy together and the autopsy, which is set to Unchained Melody, turn, turns into this massive flirting scene. But it's it's so it's cut short and curtailed so badly that I just think there must have been some real gross out material in there where they were like, you know, making out on top of the corpse or, or you know, something. Yeah. It, but it's just it's. That's that, a decent conceit, but it's just it's just but that's it. executed it, it, so badly. It happens over and over again. So yeah. the, the whole women doctor thing like that should have been done well you yeah. know and instead you go off into this ridiculous thing where the, the woman doctor's companion thinks she's a cat which isn't funny and doesn't work and oh, doesn't awful. go anywhere Lauren Lipkiss yeah yeah and you're just like well that's a waste of my time when you could be doing a joke here and then they forget about comedy. the conceit later on they just completely forget about it mm-hmm. and have her do something else yeah and she it, just talks yeah normally. and it makes no sense but every now and again there's a moment there's a musical number and you just think ah, that's what I wanted this to be I wanted this to have that sort of that, that lovely Pharrellian blend of lunacy that that drives the best of his movies. I know James hates him and everything he does, so you stay out of it, yeah. Dyer. You stay out of this. But I wanted it to be more like that, and instead, it's just a succession of scenes that don't really have a point or a punchline, and two very very talented actors, sometimes more, trying desperately to to make something work when it doesn't. Uh, but I have to say, this is a movie I've thought about a lot more than movies I like over the last few days because things keep coming back to me, like the opening scene is the meeting of Holmes and Watson but it, it, oh, Watson yeah. is trying to commit suicide because he's distraught uh, after about having come back from the war and having lost his love and it's a really just misguided misconceived meat cute and Holmes is suddenly growing marrows which yeah. as we all know is ridiculous he grows roses <laughs> come on but this, it goes back to your idea about this is just a bunch of modern references uh, so like Holmes is calling his marrow a bitch and yeah. And there's that scene where they go, to, you know, they 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 take a self photograph with Queen oh, Victoria. Geez. Again, a funny conceit. But then suddenly they're throwing up signs and pinching their faces and going, "Hey, girl!" And it just doesn't work. And it, that it's that whole scene with lamentable. Queen Victoria doesn't work. None of the Queen Victoria stuff yeah. works. It, I was not amused. <laughs> not least of all because she's supposed to be dead. Well, yes, ten years before the Titanic. Yeah. Oh, this mm. is my thing about it, the, yeah, yeah. It plays fast line. and loose with many things, including mm. comedy. So <laughs> sadly. 
Sadly, two stars then for Holmes and Watson. I do get the sense that there was maybe a, a decent film in here at one point, but it's well, it's been re-edited, reshot, focus group to death. Who knows? But we, you know, we may never know. Yeah, I will never watch that film. You will never watch that you film, not even on out. a plane. <laughs> two stars then for that. Uh, let's get on to some better films. Hurrah! Let's talk about the favourite. Hurrah! Should we talk about the favourite? It, it may be our favourite. I would say this week. I, I think it, so. it may well be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so who wants to take the favourite? Hellspells. Sure. So yes, this is the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, a little bit of a change of pace for him. You know, his previous films have had people talking the way that no person in the human race has ever talked. He's kind of done away with that this time. It's a bit bit more naturalistic in inverted commas because it's still not very naturalistic. So our setting is uh, 18th century, the court of Queen Anne here in England. Um, she is played by Olivia Colman. She is she was a very tragic but weird figure in real life as well. Actually, she outlived all of her I think 16 children they all died in in infancy or or before Um, uh, so she is a tragic figure but she's also the queen and so she has a lot of power so she has people around her who use that power and sometimes abuse it chief among them Rachel Weisz's lady Sarah Churchill who basically influences a huge amount of um influence over the Queen mm-hmm. and um, uses it for her own political ends and those of her husband who's played by Mark Gatiss mm-hmm. into this mix comes Emma Stone's Abigail who is a sort of distant cousin of Lady Sarah and she basically asks for and gets help to get a job in the palace but she swiftly inveigles her way into the into the sort of orbit of the Queen and <laughs> tries to if that's f- what you want to call it Helen well, yes. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, they're all shagging. Um, yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, and it is it is basically, you know, used as a power play, a way to exercise influence over this incredibly lonely, incredibly sad lady who sits on the throne. Um, so basically it then becomes a power play between Abigail, who kind of forms a very reluctant, very loose alliance with the leader of the opposition who's... Um, played by Nicholas Holt in one of the world's great wigs mm-hmm. um, and uh, although he's not a wig is he? He's not a wig he's a Tory he's a, he's but he's a, a Tory in a wig He's a Tory in a wig <laughs> um, whereas Rachel Weisz's faction are the wigs anyway um, so it's just it's bananas quite often as you would expect from a Lanthimos film but it is immensely entertaining it is beautifully, beautifully put together. The shooting With is amazing. The costumes. fisheye lenses at times yes. as well. Just to give you that sense of mm. nothing here being quite as it should be. The costumes also, if you look at them, are sort of laser-cut, ultra-ultra-modern ultra materials yeah. used. It's obviously a Sandy Powell, but it's all in black and white to kind of highlight the, the alliances and stuff going on. Fantastic film, honestly, one of my favourites of the year, and, and obviously great performances from I mean, the three women. It's January third. Okay, <laughs> of, of the previous twelve, of the twelve months that I have, in, you know, recently endured. Okay, it's like it's like the anti-merchant ivory, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> kind of, I mean, and I love it for this, but I don't recall having seen a film since Snatch that uses the word "bangly bang" quite so frequently as this one. It's very scatological. It, it really yeah, is, yeah. and it has some of the best end credits of any movie, including, uh, and I will say, nude pomegranate Tory, wanking man and fastest duck in the city. Those uh, are actually all three uh, descriptions of you on your dating there. That. <laughs> that's, that's actually that is my Tinder profile. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely demented, uh, but so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. And it's it's really it's really interesting seeing the characters and as you say, the kind of interplay between them, the kind of sort of like sort of sharp elbows at each other for favour from the Queen. Mm. And it becomes, it takes on quite a dark edge towards the end. Oh yeah, very much uh, so. But so it's, it's not what I would call a comedy. It's comedic, 
Uh, but it's quite dark, and it's it's a little bit of a, a you know a sort of a tragic look at you know power and exploitation and, yeah. and, and all sorts of things. For the record, you're going to want to Google it once you've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's actually not that far from the history. There, yeah. There's some bits there that they've extrapolated, let's say, like the shagging. Some but, of the wigs. <laughs> but really, this is not this is not completely out there. So it's it's yeah. It's an interesting. Was the racing duck historically accurate? Probably, Helen? probably they did that kind of shit, didn't they? So <laughs> they didn't have Netflix, so you well, know, you make your own fun. Exactly. <laughs> Those weirdos. Was the duck yeah. blindfolded, a la Bird Box? Oh yes, the the duck was indeed doing the Bird Box challenge. <laughs> I thought I thought this was uh, terrific as well. Mm. Uh, we saw it last fantastic. night, didn't we, Chris? Yes, we did. We did indeed. James. With closed captions. Yes. With uh, yeah, we saw we, we saw it with hard and hard of hearing closed captions, which I've never seen a film with those kind of captions before. They're incredibly detailed mm. with like random things like duck quacking. It's mm. Uh, mm. a little bit a little bit distracting, but it was it was good. It's important. Well, I, it's I, important I, to know if that's going to make the duck go faster. I quite yeah. enjoyed it. Well, yeah. isn't it at the beginning, at the very beginning, the birds tweet. The 20th Century Fox fanfare. I didn't want to give that away, but yes. But what I really liked about that is it's so subtly done. Uh-huh. If it hadn't said in the subtitles, birds tweeting 20th Century Fox fanfare, I might have actually missed it. Did it say? I thought it just said birds tweeting. Yeah, it's, it, it alerted me to the fact that it was happening, but it's very subtle. Like Unless yeah. you're listening carefully, you wouldn't realise that that's what they're doing. You just think, oh, it's the sound it started, you know. Yes, I was going to allude to that, uh, but you have just come around and said it. It's one of my favourite logo studio yeah. logo introductions oh, and great. little tweaks and that uh, it makes you you know just it just prepares you for what's what's lying in wait this sort of very very playful mm. uh, take on a costume drama I thought it was yeah, absolutely terrific very very sweary mm. more bangly banked than a UKIP convention <laughs> <laughs> But the performances are great. Yeah. Really, really great. And, uh, you know, there's no secret Olivia Coleman is fantastic. She's brilliant she at everything. She is amazing. She should have won an Oscar Absolutely for Tyrannosaur. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think she's fantastic. I think uh, Emma Stone is also very good in this. She has the yep. more showy part. I think Rachel Weisz is slightly more, uh, you know, deliberately downplayed, but she plays that very really well. Really well, well controlled, though. Brilliant trio yeah. of, of, of actors in that. Yeah, fantastic stuff. So Definitely four stars. Mm. We gave four stars then to the favourites. Best uh, film of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so far. It's, it's certainly up there, that is for sure. We should mention One Cut of the Dead, which is out on Friday and will be getting a home entertainment release towards the end of the month. Uh, now, this, if you were following Twitter at all over the last few days, you will have known that it's a Japanese zombie comedy uh, and that it hit Amazon, it hit Prime Video the other day and then the UK distributor Third Window Films basically said, what, what's this doing on Amazon? This is a bootleg copy that should not have been on there and uh, so they had it taken down. But uh, in the brief period it was up, I didn't know it was a bootleg, I didn't get around to watching it, so that's a bit of a shame but then it was a bootleg so I don't want to watch a bootleg do you exactly video piracy is a crime do not accept it thanks Chris. anyway whatever happened there it's all been resolved now so the only place you can see one cut of the dead is in cinemas this weekend and then later in the month on home entertainment and it is well worth your time according to our review four stars and everyone I know who's seen this film says it's absolutely fantastic and that you should go into it knowing nothing other than it's a Japanese zombie comedy and that's it one cut 
of the Dead. Four stars for that. And Helen, very, very quickly, tell us about RBG. Hurrah! This is the uh, documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, worth seeing, even if you're interested in the biopic with Felicity Jones later this month, it's still worth seeing the and document. Who wouldn't be? Well, quite. It's really good, actually. But anyway, this is a documentary about the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the second woman on the Supreme Court, uh, one of its most stalwart uh, liberal stars these days, and someone who's gained notoriety as the notorious RBG uh, in the last few years, despite being a tiny, you know, Jewish grandmother um, who wears lace collars to work. Um, she is uh, wonderful, and it's a fascinating, fascinating story, not least because it portrays an absolutely dreamy marriage um, between two extraordinarily talented people. So it's very much hashtag relationship goals. Um, <laughs> but I really loved it. I think we gave it four stars. I'd also say it's uh, gym goals because there's a scene where you yes. see her working out with her trainer and I'm thinking to myself, good God, that is a 90-plus-year-old woman and she's hefting weights at a level to which I can only dream. Oh, 80-plus, 80 80-plus. 80 80 is she 80-plus? 80 80-plus, 80 80 yeah. plus. okay. Yeah, she is wonderful. She maybe, yes, should have retired when Obama could have replaced her, but, you know, it's not her fault. She's no. wonderful. She'll keep keeping on. Absolutely. So four stars indeed then for RBG. How exciting. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by John C. Riley, Dr. Watson himself, and Steve Coogan. (gasps) It's not, sadly, a retrospective Holmes and Watson spoiler special. They are here instead. Although I could turn it into that, you never know. They are here instead to talk about Stan and Ollie, which is their biopic uh, of the later years of Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, of course. Uh, very excited about that one indeed. Such a good movie. Spoiler. Uh, just very, very quickly before we pop off, what are New Year's resolutions? My New Year's resolution is to watch more movies this year. I did decently last year, but honestly, I need to up my game when I see people who seem to be able to watch somewhere in the region of three to four hundred movies, and I'm not sure how they do it. Wow. So yeah. far, I've watched yeah. none. Just, just so you know, people, I've watched none. Yeah. It's terrible. Jimmy Graham of Total Film uh, tweeted that he'd watched only 500 movies last year. I mean, I mean, Slacker. I know, which was downed, apparently, oh, from God. 700 a year before. Mm-hmm. I mean... I can't even. I mean, I love. I love film. I love film. Wait, is this an episode? No. Uh, I love. I love film, but there's. There's. I draw a line, and that line is at pixels. Because once you've seen pixels, <laughs> there's really nowhere else to go. No, there isn't. There's nowhere to go because it's still in your. Well, it doesn't stay in your brain for long, Chris. That's the good news. You forget all about it very quickly, until some idiot talks about it for an hour in a podcast. And now you, all you want later. to do is want to watch it. You want, That's you want not it. what I want to do. It has this bit where Peter Dinklage is rewarded for saving the world with a threesome with Serena Williams and Martha Stewart. And if that isn't a recommendation, I do not know what is. That That isn't a recommendation. That is better than your Home Alone. It is better than your Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh, And it is better than I would would venture any movie ever made. So there you go. Pixels (laughs) is great. Uh, Helen, what's your New Year's resolution? I don't know. I've got a bunch more marathons to do and... um uh, but I don't know. I don't have a particular... The, the, the watching more movies is a good one. I'm going to yeah. steal Jimbo's. I love movies. Mine's, Jimbo. Mine is, is conversely slightly the opposite. I'm going to try and watch fewer things. And it's not... not <laughs> <laughs> now, bear with me. I'm bear with this. Wow. <laughs> There's a low bar. <laughs> I'm going to try, on the one hand, to watch I more... I beg your pardon? <laughs> is this your Tinder buyer again? <laughs> 
I'm going to try and watch more of the films that we review on this podcast so I actually have something to say during the latter part of the show. But conversely, I'm going to try and spend less time just watching stuff because between the films I'm supposed to watch for this and the, like, six TV shows a week I have to watch for the Pilot TV podcast, I spend my entire life staring at some form of screen. So I'm going to try and more... Smell the roses. I'm going to try and look around and actually, as Ferris Bueller would say, look around, you know, otherwise life will pass you by. He'll take a look around once in a while uh, so I'm going to try and do some other things that don't involve watching screens I will maybe be more precise more targeted with the things I watch so instead of watching every TV show that comes out for no apparent reason I shall only watch the ones I have to watch <laughs> <laughs> and some of the ones I want to watch seems fair nobody seems needs fair. to watch every episode of A Discovery of Witches I'm just saying no that also seems fair I'm going to try and be better about logging the films I see. I started out last year oh, being pretty good at logging stuff. That's just, no. I'm with Helen on this. Don't do Don't it. Like What's her. the point? I like it. Why? No. It appeals to the nerd in me. It's no, so nerdy, it though. It really is. All Even these people I do putting that. up, you know, the list of, oh, I watched these six. No, I don't, I don't like that. But it's just, nerdific willy for, for me. Just for, it's good for me to know how many films no, I watched. No, it's or, not. Just all you need to do is... And this is, I stand by this. When you see a film that you think, my, that is absolutely going to be on my top ten of the list, write that one down in a little note so okay. that when at the end of the year Nick says, give me your top ten, you're like, oh, did I see a film this year that wasn't Avengers Endgame? I can't think of any. So that's... that's yeah, well, that's, so that's number one, though. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, we can write that, that now. Yeah. yeah, my top ten films of the year, number two, <laughs> the favourite... And number one, <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Yeah, brilliant. Seems, yeah, that yeah. seems fair. That's, that's echoed. That's that's your list, isn't I, it? I, yeah, mm. number three, Captain Marvel. I mean, we're there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's bring this. Uh, let's bring this brisk, tight forty-five to a close. <laughs> From next week, by the way, we're going to have a proper producer doing this podcast, so <laughs> things are going to be so slick around here you won't even know. There will be no extended uh, riffing about wanking. I don't even know what I'll be doing myself. It, it, this Wanky is, is going to be interesting because if if the new producer cuts out all the rubbish, it's going to be a five minute podcast. <laughs> it's just going to be, and that was the Empire Pod. It'd be a bangly bang, and then the end of it, and the music, and that's it. We're done. Just a quick bangly bang. A quick bangly bang. Mm. Is that your Tinder profile? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bangly banging on about I don't know. Anyway, until we meet again, until a suspicious occasion, it is goodbye, and I'm going to give you all names from the favourite cast list. <laughs> it is goodbye from kitchen servant Jaime Blanco, James White. Until next year, folks. I'll be around. Mostly Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's your dinner. <laughs> it is goodbye from fastest duck in the city, Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Quack. Goodbye. I can't even. I was, I was like, there's nothing to go with. So, oh. goodbye. Goodbye. It's goodbye from nude pomegranate Tory. <gasps> that's that's what I. That James literally Dyer. is my Tinder profile. <laughs> Genuinely, uh, it's yeah. For so many years, you were both nude and a Tory. I'm none of those things now. You're none of those and things. it's very important that I emphasize that You've fact. Had an epiphany. Yeah. Well, I'm just... no longer naked and covered in pomegranates. That's the important part of this. <laughs> Uh, well, that pretty much just leaves wanking man on that bombshell. Uh, thank you so much for listening. See you next week. I'm off to watch Pixels again and decide whether it is better than Avengers Endgame. Chris, you have a problem. And only Adam Sandler, Peter Dinklage, Josh Gad and Kevin James running around chasing Pac-Man in customised Mini Coopers can help? No. No, yeah, I didn't think so. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. 